Well, before we begin our time in Acts chapter 2 today, I just want to address some of what's going on in our city and our country right now. Uh, I've had a couple of people ask me, Roger, why haven't you posted a whole lot on Facebook or other social media about what's been happening uh, with the uh, crisis in our city, not the coronavirus, but the injustices that are happening? And I'll tell you that Um, I've really tried to take the posture of what the scriptures tell us to be still and know that I'm God. As many of you know, I was a police officer in Dallas before I was a pastor. And when I saw what happened with those now, thankfully, ex-officers, I can tell you that I was sick to my stomach. And people talk about the police out there and this code of silence and on and on. And I'll tell you, as a former officer, that is not how it really works. Uh, The people who are the most angry about bad cops are good cops. I will tell you that any officer who took a vow to protect and serve and seize those things is angry, angrier than anybody could ever be. And I was sick uh, when I saw what happened. And I wanted to respond. I felt a little bit like Peter. You know, we read in the scriptures about Peter, and Peter would sometimes say something and then think about it after he said it. And rather than be Peter, I decided, God, just give me the words to say. Give me uh, the right time to say it. And so next Sunday, I'm going to be preaching about what's happening in our city, our world, with the injustices. So I want you to know that I'm going to be addressing it. But before we get to next week, uh, especially in light of what happened last night in our city with the rioting, I know that uh, I've already seen people posting, right? Uh, Back when it happened uh, up north, people were posting, well, we were with you in the injustice until the rioting and the looting started, and now you've lost us. That's garbage. Uh, Let me just say something about that. Injustice was injustice then, it still is. Uh, The fact that there are people, many of whom don't even live in those communities, that are doing these things does not negate the injustice that happened. So if you're a person who's wanting to make a statement like that, let me remind you that when Job was suffering, when he was sitting in ashes, uh, when his friends showed up and said nothing, they were helpful. Uh, When they started talking, he wished they would go away. And so I'm not telling you to be silent, not to say the things that need to be said, but I want you to have the posture of listening first. I want you to have the posture of loving and asking how to respond. When somebody posts Black Lives Matter, don't come back with All Lives Matter. You know, the the best way to think about it is imagine you broke your arm and you went to the doctor and you get to the doctor and you say, this arm is broken, it's hurt. And the doctor says, well, all bones are important, so let me check the rest of your body and ignore this one that's broken. You would say, no, doctor, this one needs to be fixed right now. Uh, Right now, that is the bone that is broken. Uh, The minority community is hurting, and we need to understand that when they say black lives matter, it doesn't mean that your life or my life doesn't matter. It just means we need to give attention to the bone that is broken right now. And so just, again, come with a posture of listening, loving, and asking God to lead you and how you respond. We'll be talking more next week, but I want to just pray for a moment. I want us to pray for our city. There were three police officers here in San Antonio who were hurt last night. We want to pray for them. We want to pray for our officers who are on the front lines. Whether you know it or not, we have a number of police who attend Wayside. 
and they are on the front lines. These are good men and women who are believers in Christ who love others. There is one in this room right now uh, who will be on the riot line tonight, uh, and she and the rest of our officers need prayer uh, for protection. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, as we talk about this, we know that uh, as grieved as we are, as angry as we are, and you tell us in your word to be angry, but do not sin. There is a righteous anger. God, we know you are the one who is most hurt. You created all people, black, brown, red, yellow, white, in your image. These are people who are eternal, created in the image of God, and when there is injustice, when there is wrong, it grieves you. And, God, we know that you moved to do something about the injustice. You left your throne in heaven to come to earth, to die on a cross, to pay the penalty of death that we all deserve for our sins. And we thank you for that. And, God, you have raised us up as your people to be salt and light in a dark and dying world. And so I ask right now, God, that we would be that, that we would be points of light in the darkness, that we would be salt, the preserving element. And some of those who are given by you for that very thing are the first responders, the police who stand on the front line. And God, there will be officers tonight, not only in our city, but around this country that are standing in harm's way. And we ask that you would surround and protect them. You tell us in Psalm 127 that unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen watch in vain. And so, Lord, we know that we need you and we are dependent on you. And we're asking, God, that you would hold back. Uh, those who are instigators, those who have evil intent, would you keep them uh, away? Would you keep our officers safe? We pray for the three police officers injured last night. Would you bring healing to them, uh, not only in physical form, but just to their uh, peace? We pray that for the rest of our officers, Lord. Would you be with them? And Lord, for all of us, we pray as we're asking you to guard our city, would you guard our hearts, our tongues, our thumbs as we post on social media and other places. Would you keep them, Lord, from wrong words? Would you keep our heart tender for you and use us as instruments of peace? We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, and it begins in verse 1 by telling us, and when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And I think many of you know today is Pentecost. Pentecost is a word that literally means 50. And Pentecost uh, was called this because as we look in the Bible, it's also known as the Feast of Weeks because it's literally a week of weeks. It comes from Leviticus chapter 23 and verses 15 through 16. It says, You shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. And so the Sabbath, as we know, was Saturday on our calendars in the Old Testament. And what God said is you're to take the feast of first fruits, that Sabbath, and you're to count a week of weeks or 49 days, seven Sabbaths, and then you add one day. And so what that means is you would come to a Sunday. And I tell you all that because... Sometimes the question is asked, why do we as Christians worship on a Sunday rather than a Saturday? And there's a couple reasons. One of those is, you'll remember, that was the day the resurrected Lord appeared. And so we worship on Sunday because that is the day of his resurrection. It's also because 
the day of Pentecost is the birthday of the church. It happened uh, on a Sunday as well. And so this is why we gather on a Sunday to worship. In Acts chapter 1, it tells us after the resurrection of Jesus, he walked the earth for 40 days. And other passages in the Bible tell us during those 40 days, he appeared to more than 500 witnesses. And as he was appearing to them, he was showing them who he was, that he was indeed the Lord. And he had risen from the dead. And then what he told his followers is, I want you to go to Jerusalem. And I want you to wait there in Jerusalem because I have a gift for you, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And God will send him to you after I've ascended into heaven. And so in Acts 1, it tells us in Acts 1.15 that there was a group of about 120 believers who were gathered together. They were praying. They were listening to Peter as he preached. And Acts 2.2 picks up the story for us. And it tells us, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And so what we have here is the Holy Spirit comes, and he makes his presence known in three ways. He makes his presence known through sound, excuse me, sound, sight, and spiritual gifts. The use of wind is a way that God's presence was manifested, and it has linguistic ties because there are two words used in the scriptures for the Holy Spirit. One is ruah, which is the Old Testament Hebrew for spirit, and then there's pneuma, which is the Greek word used in the New Testament. And this word, depending upon the context, is translated as wind, breath, or spirit. And as the Holy Spirit appears here, the believers are, are not blown over. I wonder if you've ever seen you know, some of these TV preachers and they slay someone in the spirit, right? They come in and the person is knocked over by the wind uh, as some of them even will blow on them or hit them on the head or something. But you notice it says here that they heard the spirit. They didn't feel uh, the spirit. It, was, it said it sounded like a mighty rushing wind. Now, the Greek word used here is akos. It's where we get our English word echo. So we don't know specifically. People said, well, maybe it was like a tornado or a hurricane. Uh, the, the point of the, the, the noise was to attract attention. Uh, and we see that that happens in Acts 2.6 because it says, and when this sound occurred, the crowd came together. And they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So there's this, this group of 120 Christians gathered. Now there's a debate as to where are they when this actually happens. Were they in the upper room? Because we have this word, they were in the house. But as you look later in Acts uh, 7.47, there it speaks of the temple as it says King Solomon built a house for God. So were they in the upper room or had they moved over to the courtyard of the temple? The fact that 3,000 gather, uh, one of the temple courtyard areas would easily accommodate the crowd. But there's this noise. People gather. They come to see what is going on, what is causing this commotion. And as they gather, it says the tongues of fire began distributing themselves and it rested on each of them. Now, fire is like wind. It's another symbol of God in his presence. As you look through the scriptures, God was present in the fire at the burning bush where Moses uh, was, was drawn over. The pillar of fire in the wilderness led God's people 
uh, during their time of wandering. God was the consuming fire at Mount Sinai, and when the temple was dedicated, it was the, the presence of fire and smoke that filled the temple and showed the glory of God. John the Baptist said in Matthew 3.11 and Luke 3.16 that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so as the Holy Spirit comes, Luke tells us there are these tongues of fire. Now he tells us something unique happens because he says that it's separated and it rested on each of the 120 who were there. Now previous to this moment, the Holy Spirit would be given at times to men and women Uh, those who were judges in the Old Testament like Deborah and others, those who uh, were kings like King David and the others, those who were prophets and priests, they would receive an enabling, a gift of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit was temporary and only to a few, and it could be withdrawn. When David sinned, he writes in the psalm, Lord, do not withdraw your Holy Spirit from me. But what happens at Pentecost is it's a new dispensation, a new age. We call it the church age. And God at this point gave his spirit to all who are believers in Christ. And he gave his spirit permanently. The Bible speaks of how we are sealed and indwelt as believers with the Holy Spirit. We're told, do you not know your body is a temple of the Lord and the spirit of God dwells within you? And so this is a a unique mark in time, a new way that God is operating with his spirit. And Acts 2.4 tells us, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And the, Spirit, the, the proof of the Spirit's presence was not just these tongues of fire, but it was also that he took control of their, their physical tongues and he, he was guiding their language. Now this has caused some to say that you have to speak in tongues in order to be saved. Maybe you have friends who are Pentecostal and they get that name from Pentecost. And they'll tell you, some of them, that you have to be baptized with the the spirit of tongues in order to prove you're saved, that at that moment it shows you're a Christian. I want to remind you that the context of the passage is these are already Christians. The 120 who are gathered are believers in Christ. They've seen the resurrected Lord. They're there. The tongues are not making them believers. Another thing we find in the scriptures is what the purpose of tongues is. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, 22, and 23. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. If therefore the whole church should assemble together and all speak in tongues, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? And as you look here in Acts, you see that's what happens. They see this group of Christians all speaking in tongues. And they say, these, these folks are drunk. These people are, are full of not the Holy Spirit, but some other spirit. They're drunk on wine or, or other things. There would have been this, this babble of noises as, as the different groups are speaking. There are 15 different languages that are mentioned here in Acts chapter 2 that are spoken. So imagine right now if somebody's speaking English and there's French and there's Spanish and there's German and there's Hindu and there's uh, Hindi. There's all these languages suddenly being spoken and we'd be like, you know, struggling to understand all that is being said. But what is happening here in Acts 2 is, is not gibberish. Again, many times when you see these people on TV speaking in tongues, uh, it's gibberish. But that's not at all what the scriptures tell us. The Greek text says here, literally, there was heteros glossius, which means in other tongues. 
And the Greek word that is used in both verses 6 and 8 is dialectos. And that's where we get our English word dialect. It's speaking of a known language, a living language. It's not gibberish, but it's a known language. And we see that, that the people listening in can discern the languages. Because as you look at Acts chapter 2, verses 8 through 12, it says, And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes, and on the list goes with 15 different languages. And they say we hear them in our own language speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity saying to one another, What does this mean? Well, Peter's about to tell us in his sermon what it means. He's about to tell us this is a fulfillment of the prophecy spoken to the Old Testament prophet Joel. And the other reason that there is this diversity of languages is because the crowd that is gathered is from all over the world. Remember, they're celebrating the Feast of Pentecost. There were three mandatory feasts in the scriptures where the Jewish men were required to come to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. One of those had just occurred at Passover when Christ was crucified. And then you had the 50 days where Pentecost, this this gathering of first fruits happens. And the, the first fruit offering, what they were bringing in was a thank you to God for the harvest. The barley harvest had been complete. They were bringing the first fruits. The wheat harvest was soon to follow. And so as these people are gathered, they are literally from all over the known world. There are all these various languages. And God wanted to make sure that the people would be able to hear the good news and understand it. So as they disperse back to the far regions of the world, they take the word of God with them. And so I I mentioned that there is this harvest that is happening and, and here we see this is the, uh, a harvest of souls because in, in Acts 2.41 it says 3,000 were saved on that day as they listened to the sermon that Peter preaches in verses 14 through 36. Now in his sermon, as I mentioned, Peter says this is a fulfillment of the prophecy. And you see there in Acts 2.16 through 18, this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit upon all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, I will will in those days pour forth of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And so here is this fulfillment of this prophecy of what God had revealed hundreds of years before. And remember, there is a fulfillment of all the prophecies happening. God had revealed he would send the promised Messiah, his son, to come into the world, to go to a cross, to to be crucified, to pay that penalty of death that was owed for our sins. And Jesus has fulfilled all of the prophecies. And he rose from the dead. And, And what Peter is doing is recounting the scriptures and the fulfillment And as he's doing these things, he invites those who are listening to place their faith in Jesus Christ. He says in Acts 2, 21 through 24, And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, Jesus, delivered up by the predetermined 
Plana in foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And so here, Peter is, is speaking again of the resurrection of Christ. And what he's doing is quoting from Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, again, the fulfillment of a prophecy in the Old Testament. And in Acts uh, 2.33, Peter returns to his original point about the Holy Spirit being poured out. And as he says, Jesus left the earth just as he had to, to ascend into heaven and then came uh, the, the Holy Spirit after Jesus was seated in the exalted position at the right hand of God. In verses 34 through 35, Peter gives further evidence that Jesus was the Messiah and how he's been exalted. Here again, he quotes the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy in Psalm 110. And he concludes his message in verse 36 by saying, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And as Peter is preaching this message, as God is interpreting it through the various uh, languages that he's giving Acts 2:37 through 38 says that it hits home because it says they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This word repent literally means to have a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. You had the, the Jews who had rejected Jesus, who had said he, he was a false Messiah, but then he, he proved he was the promised Messiah, the one of Isaiah 53 that says that he would be pierced for our transgressions, that says that he, by his stripes we are healed, and he showed that he was the Son of God as he rose from the dead. And as this is happening, uh, Peter is saying, you realize now who he is, the promised Messiah. And he says, you need to repent. You need to, to, you've had a change of mind, a change of understanding. And he says, now you need to, to have a change of direction. You need to turn from running from God's Messiah. And you need to receive him, embracing him as your Savior. And we see that 3,000 in verse 41 hear and respond to this gospel. And then it goes on to tell us that this 120 plus now the 3,000, it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. As they listen to God's word, they respond. They're, they're not only coming to faith, but now they're responding in that they're living like God has called them to do. And as we hear God's word, we should do the same. It should move us to repentance if you've not yet received Jesus as your Savior, to realize your need that as a sinner you owe the penalty of death just as I do. But when we place our faith and trust in God's Son, Jesus, 
who paid that penalty in full, then we are saved. Romans 10, 9 tells us if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. And once we're saved, there should be evidence in our lives. It's not that our works save us. The Bible is very clear. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one should boast. While our works do not save us, our works do reveal the root of the tree as we bear fruit. It shows that we've come to faith in Christ. And as we're living for God, as we become his hands and feet, as we go out of the doors of wayside as the church, there is a dark and dying world out there. Those of you who are worshiping at home tonight, I mean today, know your neighbors, others around you need to know the Lord. And what God calls on us to do is to be a light shining in the darkness. And just as a moth is attracted to the light, that's what happens. That's what was happening in Acts chapter 2. As it says in verse 47, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. After the first 120 and the first 3,000, then it says every day people are coming to faith in Christ. As we're reading Acts chapter 2 today, I want to just say to y'all, this is real. This is living. This is happening in our day. I can't tell you that over this coronavirus lockdown that we've had 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. Maybe we have. I don't know. Right now, we know that these sermons that have been going out online, we can look at, at the analytics and we see that over 12 nations out there are watching the sermons. People from numerous states are watching. It's not just our normal wayside congregation that is worshiping with us. But we have been getting uh, notification from people that they are receiving the Lord through these things. You'll hear me pray in these sermons, and then I'll say at the end, if you pray to receive Christ, would you email us and let us know so we can follow up with you? And we've received emails from people who have said, I prayed that prayer. I placed my faith and trust in Christ. We have members of Wayside who said, I have friends and neighbors I've invited to, to listen and watch online and they've come to faith and we're giving them uh, materials to follow up with their friends and neighbors. Just last Sunday, some of you uh, were here in this second service like we are right now worshiping, but then we had you leave and right after you left this service, we had a baptism uh, because we're having to do social distancing and things. We couldn't do multiple baptisms. We're keeping the water, one person. Uh, I was wearing a mask. Uh, various things. But let me just give you the background on the baptism I'm about to show you because I want you to celebrate uh, what happened. The background is there was a, a man who had just started coming to Wayside. His name is Ernest Villarreal. And he, last Sunday was his 50th birthday. And so more important than his physical 50th birthday, the Tuesday before that was his spiritual birthday. Ernest had been coming to Wayside just a few Sundays before the lockdown. He had a friend here who he saw something in her life and he said, you're different and I need what you have. And so he started to come to Wayside and then the coronavirus came and we couldn't have church, at least physically. Church is not the building. We were continuing online and Ernest was watching and worshiping. And we talked by phone uh, on Tuesday of the previous week and it became clear that Ernest did not have a full understanding of the gospel of grace as we were talking. And so I said, do you have a Bible? And he said, yes, my friend has given me a Bible. I said, would you go get it? And so he opens this 
Bible and we walk through the scriptures about what it says about how we're sinners and what it says about Jesus being our Savior who paid the penalty of death, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Ernest saw his need to accept Christ as his Savior. And we prayed over the phone and he accepted the Lord. And then he said, Roger, my 50th birthday is Sunday. And it would be really special if I could mark my 50th birthday by being baptized. So I want you to watch this video. Well, this is a very special time uh, this morning. I wish again we could be doing this with the full church gathered. Uh, This is Ernest Villarreal. And Ernest has been coming to Wayside just a couple of Sundays before the lockdown and then after. And you and I spoke by phone, was it Tuesday? Yes. So Ernest had said, this is today Ernest's 50th birthday, by the way, so we want to celebrate his birthday. And he has a second birthday because on Tuesday of last week, uh, as we talked by phone, we went through the gospel, and Ernest saw his need for Jesus Christ to be his Savior. Ernest, you acknowledge that you're a sinner and that you have a penalty of death, that you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay in full for your sins? Yes. And you believe that Jesus rose from the dead and he is seated in heaven at the right hand of God where one day we will be welcomed as well. Yes. yes. So Ernest has placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And today his family is here and church family, you may be seeing this online if we uh, show it next week at church, uh, just to acknowledge his new faith in Christ and his desire to live his life as a disciple for the Lord. Is that correct? Yes. So, Ernest, I forgot to go over how we're going to do this. You're going to pinch your nose, and you're going to bend your knees. I'm going to bend you over backwards, okay? Okay. And so when you hear me say, Holy Spirit, you'll take your breath. Okay. And so go ahead and pinch your nose and put this hand up here, and I'll just hold here. Ernest Villarreal, based upon your testimony and faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and your desire to live your life as a disciple for him, I baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised in newness of life. Congratulations, Ernest. Awesome. You're welcome. Happy birthday. Thank you. Well, you can see I was a little out of practice. I forgot to go over the instructions before we got in the baptism. So we're all learning to do things again that we've not been doing for a while. But this is Acts chapter 2. This is the word of God being preached. This is the church, which is not this building. It is the body of Christ sharing the good news of the gospel. And then people being drawn by God's Holy Spirit to faith in Christ and being added to our numbers. And God is doing that. And as as the church is being the church, part of what that is, it tells us here, is that they were in fellowship together. The Greek word that is used here in our passage is koinonia. It literally means to be shared and have in common. It's not just about gathering together, as wonderful as this is for those who are physically present. uh, And we long for those of you worshiping online one day to join us as well when you're feeling comfortable and ready. 
But it's not just coming together and being around each other. But I think during this time of, of isolation and quarantine, many of us have seen the need for fellowship, the need to be with one another. But it's not just like a bag of marbles where we are gathered together and if we keep our hard shells up and kind of bang up against each other, we leave just the way we came. It's more like a bunch of grapes. The scriptures use the image of Christ being the vine and it says we are to abide in him and as we do so, we will bear much fruit. And as as we're in the vine, we will become like grapes and as we come together as believers, a bunch of grapes being banged up against each other, they'll, they'll break and the juice will intermingle and there's where the richness and the flavor comes from as it's released. And this is the picture. Uh, and sometimes, yes, it can get messy. But that's what it means to be around one another and to be doing life on life with each other. Remember that Jesus was willing to be crushed, to shed his blood in order to save us. And he calls us as believers to have this same koinonia, this fellowship. And we see that this is integral because here in Acts it talks about how they were remembering through the breaking of bread in verse 42. It was not only a reference to the meals as they were sharing them together, but at the end they would have the communion service as they remembered the memorial of what Jesus did as we talked about last Sunday and in the memorial of Passover and what Christ did for us. Another part of Koinonia is what we see in verses 44 through 45, as it says, all those who had believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions, and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Now, this isn't promoting socialism or communism. Those systems go in and take your stuff and say, we're going to take your stuff and distribute it. This was a voluntary sharing of the things that people had. And, and what we have here, it's been said that you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And during this quarantine, this coronavirus, I have seen the body of Christ here giving out of love. You know, one of the things that I'm so proud of this body about, and I'm not proud in an arrogant, bad way. I'm proud in a, wow, look at God at work in and through his people. Y'all have been so generous with your ongoing support of the ministry. It has been above and beyond to the point that we've been able to go above and beyond our normal support and outreaches. We have missionaries we support all around the world. But in addition to the regular support and the regular projects that we have been partnering with, we have given an additional $58,000, $58,000 to eight countries and organizations that are involved in relief work around our city and around the world because of the above and beyond giving of God's people. You've been, those who have have been sharing with those who are in need. And uh, one of the projects that I received a thank you note from is from Matt Gruber. He's a part of Wayside out at our Stone Oak uh, part of our church. He is overseeing our New Hope ministry. It was a ministry birthed out of our church in this community. It reaches out to the refugees who are here in our city. And during this time of lockdown, uh, there is a group of volunteers who have been gathering outside in our parking lot to pack food boxes. And they've been receiving food from various organizations in town. They come together, they pack it, and then they distribute it to about 1,500 people every week. 
who are refugees in our community from 30 different countries. We've had an ongoing ministry in uh, the apartments here to some of these refugees. And through this continued ministry, uh, there was one, uh, just in his thank you note, he included the story of one of their volunteers who's named Helen. And Helen has, a, has developed a friendship with the family from Iraq. And when she was talking with the uh, woman from this Iraqi family, this is what she told Helen. She said, the Muslims from the mosque aren't even taking care of people as well as the people of the church are. You as Christians are doing more for us than our own Muslim brothers and sisters. This is a, a Muslim woman from Iraq here in San Antonio who has been seeing the love of Christ demonstrated. And it's not just this one woman. I was talking to Pastor Peter from Uganda on Thursday. We sent a $5,000 gift uh, to our partners in Rwanda and Uganda, 5000 each, as well as to India and Peru and Guatemala and the Navajo Nation. And so I'm, I'm leaving people out. I know we, we have been sending these gifts. And Pastor Peter was talking to me Thursday, and he just said, Roger, I want to thank Wayside for what you guys are doing, the way you're standing with us and helping us support those in our community who are going without, not just the brothers and sisters in Christ, but he told me a very similar story where one of the tribal chieftains, who is a Muslim, said this to him. He said, how is it that you Christians can love us and feed us when our own people are abandoning us? This is what was happening in the book of Acts. As people saw the believers reaching out and demonstrating in tangible ways the love of Christ, they were attracted, they were drawn in to what was happening. And because believers here in San Antonio are sharing through your gifts and support of the ministry, we are able to help share the love of Christ around the world through what you are doing. So thank you for living out your faith in very real ways. You've probably heard the famous line from... Um, Charles Dickens' novel, The Tale of Two Cities. He says, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And right now we're living this. The worst of times is easy for us to understand. We look at the isolation. We look at the shutdown. We look at the economies of the world that are being destroyed. We look at the loss of jobs. We look at the loss of life uh, to the virus. We look at the loss of peace in, in many people's lives as they're struggling with isolation and despair and depression. And so it's the worst of times, but it's also the best of times. I think each of us can look at our own lives and say, you know what has come out of this coronavirus is it's taught me what is most important. It's helped me to see what is really important. People are realizing a lot of stuff they had they don't need. They're realizing the, the loved ones they neglected that they now are spending more time with when they're able is, is a gift. It's, it's a time where we're reminded of the ability to reach out to neighbors and others. You've probably met neighbors you never had met before. And now you know their names. You're seeing them walking around. You're seeing kids riding bikes in your neighborhood. You're meeting people in your apartment complex that you never would have known the name of before. And the, the, the best thing coming out of this as well is that many believers are realizing this building is not the church. This body of believers is the church. And God has us distributed all throughout our city and community and around the world to reach out with the love of Christ. 
So as we come to a close today, I want to encourage you to go back and look over this passage. I want you to read the things that it says the believers were devoting themselves to and ask God to help you to do these things. The church was gathered originally together to be equipped, to be encouraged, and to be empowered. As Acts 1.8 said, you will receive the power of the Spirit so that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so as those who have received God's gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers, God calls on us to be his witnesses as we leave today. Will you join me, please, as we go to the Lord in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your word, your word that not only teaches and equips and encourages us, but also for your living word, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, who died to set us free from the penalty of sin and death, We thank you, God, for your spirit, Holy Spirit, who lives within us, who fills and empowers us. Would you fill our mind and our mouths with your words? Would you use us as your instruments of peace? Would you use us as light in the darkness? And so, God, as we leave today, whether we're walking out of the physical doors of Wayside 410 campus or we're walking out the front door of our homes where we're worshiping, would we be aware of those around us? And would we look for those opportunities you've given us to spread the good news of the gospel? We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you again for worshiping with us online as well as here. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.